Good morning, friends. Good to be with you. My name is Thomas, if we haven't met yet. I have the joy of being on staff here at Calvary and get to open up today's text with you. We're continuing our series in the book of James. So if you want to grab your Bibles, your journals, fire up the iPads, James chapter 4. I just want to take a moment and pray for us before we begin. Lord, we just ask that the text that was just read would be an instrument in your hands to do the things in our individual personal lives that only you can do. And so, Father, we offer ourselves to you this morning and ask that you would be our teacher, that the Word of God would be living and active in us, that would correct us and shape us, that would encourage us and build us up. And, and so, Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the things that you would have for each one of us today. Carry me along in this text that I'd be a faithful steward of the things that you have written. In your name we pray, amen. I want to take you back to a date, January 1st, 2020. There was the beginning of a new year where churches, companies, countries just capitalized on the fact that it was 2020, and they would just unleash these 2020 vision campaigns. You remember this? They would say, this is our 2020 vision, all the things that we are going to do this year. We're going to make this sort of profit this year. We hope to make these sorts of gains this year. Our company is going to grow this way. Our church will expand this way. And then 2020 happened. <laughs> and in our own personal lives, we had planned out graduations. And graduation came and went, and it wasn't what we thought it would be. There were those of us in this room that we had planned weddings. Marriage ceremonies, we had locked in the venue, locked in the date, and that date came and went, and we did not have our wedding. There were things about celebrating anniversaries and taking an anniversary trip, a vacation. There were all sorts of things that we had on our calendars in 2020, just as we did in 2019. But I think in 2020, this is the passage that came to my mind most, was I think there's a verse in the Bible that says, you prideful people who think you can just plan out your life as though you are the captain, director of all things, that this world is simply flesh and bones and that you can mold it into whatever you want and you take no account for the spiritual things, the things that are in God's plan, what God has purposed, where he is driving human history forward. There's a verse there in the Bible that tells us to stay humble, isn't there? It's the passage we're looking at. So James chapter 4 opens up with this picture of someone who is rather arrogant. And so James says, come now, meaning listen up. Pay attention. If you haven't been paying attention to the last couple of years, turn your ears on now. Now would be a really good time to pay attention. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. There's four things in this person's thinking that makes them this boastful, arrogant, self-centered captain of their life. This first one is this. They think they're in charge of time. I'm going to go do this today, ah, tomorrow, maybe next week. Not really sure when I'll have the time. But based on my timing, today or tomorrow or whenever I choose to do it, 
we're going to get this done. So this person thinks that they're in charge of time. Then, look, it says that we will go to such and such town. They think they're in charge of locations. They think they're in charge of where they're going to go. Not only when they'll do it, but where they'll do it. I'm not going to go over there. I'm going internationally next month. And so they think they're in charge of both time and location. And then he goes on and says, and we will spend a year there. And so they think they're in charge of duration. How long they will spend doing these things. And if that's not enough to think that they're in charge of time, of location, and duration, they also think they're in charge of the outcome of their endeavors. See that last statement? And we will make a profit. We will make a profit on these endeavors. And so I'm the captain of my life, and I'll choose when and where and how long and what the outcome and results will be. That's pretty arrogant, isn't it? That's pretty American, isn't it? It is. It's pretty American. I think we are most susceptible as Americans to this sort of thinking. In part because in all of human history, okay, that's a big statement, I know, and in the whole planet, there is something about America that has allowed people the most freedom to change socioeconomic classes, to be able to generate wealth, to be able to sense the securities of their, of their working and to actually see the successes of their plans in America. And so I think there's good evidence of why we're susceptible to this because Americans, we love a plan, we love to work a plan, and we love to see them successful. And you know what? We've done a really good job, haven't we? And we've built America on our plans. And so I think we are most susceptible as Americans to this sort of thinking, that as we plan, we think, we determine the times, we determine the locations, we will determine the duration, and you know what? We will determine its successes. And then there was 2020. And you might not say, you know, we're going to go today or tomorrow to such and such town, and, and we're going to do business there, and we'll make a profit. You might not say that, but you'll say something like this. Just need two weeks to flatten the curve. That's it. If I had a t-shirt, it would say 2020, two weeks to flatten the curve. And you can just, just remind yourself of all the politicians, all the leaders, all those places in authority, on all the aisles, doesn't matter, this is not you know, political, that would just say, we will end this virus. It'll be over by this date. We will return our economic successes. We will be bigger, better. We are going to return the stock market. We're going to return your wealth, your job, and that's what you can trust us to do. Just two weeks, and we're going to flatten the curve. That's audacious, is it not? To have a global pandemic and say, we will end this. This is when we will end it. This is how we will end it, and this is the profit that we will get in us ending it. You see, this is so American that we have to be cautious of its danger, that we wouldn't grow in this prideful attitude that we are the captains of our life. It's not us. And so the author then says, this is James, says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. 
How many of you experienced something this week that it was not calendared on your calendar? I did. There are several things that happened in this week that I did not anticipate to happen this week. Like, we don't even know what next week brings. We don't really know what's going to happen on Monday, let alone at the end of the week on Friday, what's going to happen next month or next year. He says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, I don't know how you think about your life of successful, strong, secure. James wants you to think of your life as like this, a vapor. Like you have a humidifier in your house? It's like that. Your life is a vapor, a smoke. It's something like a mist. As though in the morning in the spring here in Erie, Colorado, there will be this morning fog sometimes at 7, 7.30, and by 8 o'clock it's gone. James says, that's you. That's me. Think about the mist that comes out of your humidifier. I mean, talk about the fragility of the mist. Like you just pass your hand through it and it's gone. And the short timing of that it just, just disappears into the air. James says, that's, that's you. That's your life. That's its weakness and brevity. And how are we as this vapor, this mist, this smoke saying, we will determine the times, the locations, the durations, and the outcomes of our life. It should not be said that way. Here are the words of Moses. Moses says this in Psalms 90, verse 10. It says, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that, may, that we may get a heart of wisdom. People who live with wisdom understand the shortness of their life and their place, that we are not ultimately in control of the days ahead. James is also reaching into the wisdom literature. This is Proverbs chapter 27. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. That's the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Do not boast about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings. And so when James says, for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This week at Calvary, we had a stark remembrance of this as we hosted three memorial services here at Calvary this week for loved people in our church. And then yesterday, Saturday morning, a beloved member of Calvary who first came to Calvary in 1962, Lou Sharp, passed away and was met by Jesus in eternity. And so just want to let the church know that Lou has passed away. Also, the family is preparing a memorial service probably for the early part of June, and we will let the church know when those details are solidified. But you come to a funeral, and you lose friends, and you're reminded that these texts are true. 70, 80 years, but still, it's like a vapor. Another service that we did this week was actually for a gentleman named Milton Hallmark. This is the father of Lisa Gaskins. And at this service, the grandchildren came up and we were recounting memories of grandpa taking them out to Japan. 
And Tim, the oldest grandson, read from a letter that he received from Grandpa while he was serving in Japan upon hearing of his first grandchild's birth. And this is what Milton had said in the letter. If God grants me the years of life, I hope that we have some great times together. God has given me talents and knowledge that I will be happy to pass on to you. If you have an interest, I am far from being a perfect example for anyone. However, with God's help, I hope to not teach you anything that would not be honoring to Christ. I think Milton understood James 4, didn't he? What did did Milton say? Did he say, I'm your grandpa and I'm going to show up and this is what we're going to do and this is when we're going to do it and then you will receive these talents and you will be built up. No, he opens this by saying, if God grants me the years of life, with God's help, I will do these things. That's why James goes on to say, you shouldn't say we will do this on our own time in this location. This is the duration and this is the profit. But you should say this, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord permits, we will do this or do that. That's the posture of this grandfather. If the Lord permits, these are the plans that I'm making. Now, hear me say this. James is not against making plans. God is a God of plans. You know that? God has plans that he loves to see them fulfilled and see them fulfilled successfully. When God created the whole cosmos, he set up times and seasons, cycles, so that We could make plans. He set the world up so that you know when to plan to harvest, when to plan to plant, when to prepare for winter, when to prepare for summer. The world is set up so that you and I can make plans and, in fact, make plans that are successful. James is not against us making plans. What he's against is the arrogance that comes from the people that think they are the captain the author and director of all their plans of life. And so he says, what we should say is, if the Lord wills, you're not accounting for what God desires to happen in your life. What's God's plan for your life? And so he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. He first starts with that. If the Lord wills, you keep living. I hope the Lord wills that I keep living. The Lord wills us, sustains us to have life. Paul tells us in Ephesians, not only is Jesus Christ the creator of all things, he's the sustainer of all things. The reason that you're able to take your next breath is because the Lord wills it. It's a desire to sustain you. For you to see Monday is if the Lord wills for that to happen. If the Lord wills, we will live. Now, does James completely remove the we will? No, he doesn't. He takes the same we will from the first statement and brings it to the second statement. But there's something that comes before it. If the Lord wills, we will. So make your plans. Make make 
Lots of plans. But before it, you say, I'm not the ultimate director. I'm not too arrogant for that. In fact, I want the humility to say, if the Lord wills, I will do such and such. Now, we look at this will of God, and I want to ask you this question. If you look at the year of 2023 coming up, and I offered you two options, and said, I had the ability, I don't have the ability, so this is hypothetical, okay? I have the ability to grant you one of two ways to live in 2023. The first is this. You get whatever you will. Like, you make as many plans as you want to go wherever you want, to get whatever you want, to do whatever you want. You just make 2023 the year of your will. Or 2023 can be the will of the Lord for your life. And you'll get whatever he wants to give you, go wherever he wants to lead you, and be able to experience whatever he brings into your life. But you have to choose. Would you rather have your will perfectly executed in 2023 or would you rather have God's will perfectly, per- perfectly executed in 2023 for you? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. But there's a lot of us in this room that would rather choose their will. And, there's some, and I think the reason to that is we, we doubt the goodness of God's will. There's something in us that says, if God got to make all the decisions for me, I wouldn't actually get what I want. If God got to make all the decisions for me, I think I wouldn't get to experience the things that I really want to experience. If God was ultimately doing all the things that he wanted to do for me, well, I don't know if I would enjoy that as much. And the reason we say such things is we don't understand the goodness and greatness of God's will. We don't trust it. Which is why we have this habit of saying, I will do this on these days, and I will go to these places, and I will do this sort of business, and I will get this sort of profit, because ultimately, who do I trust? It's me. And if somebody takes away my will, well, then I think I'm the loser of that. Now, James calls this sort of thinking evil. Do you see that in the text? He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Boasting is like you're, you're, you're trusting. You're trusting in yourself. All such boasting is evil. Now, that's a harsh word. Why does he choose the word evil? Why does he say all such boasting is not humble? All such boasting is inappropriate. Why does he call it evil, like wicked? I think it's because of this. That's the original train of thought that was in the devil himself when he stood in the throne room of God and said, I will not remain in the position that you made me. I will exert my will above you, and I will not serve you. And then he came to human beings, and he enticed human beings to do the very same thing, to doubt the will of God. And so they're in Eden. I mean, we're in Eden in this beautiful garden where Genesis says, we're walking with the Lord himself in the cool of the day. And we're in this garden as, as workers, unfrustrated by our work. It's industrious. We're naming things, drawing out the resources that God has put in the planet. It's just wonderful. And here the devil shows up and says, we got to get out of this place. Like, you can't trust God 
in this place. What does God say? You can't eat of that tree? Oh, man, that's the tree that gets you everything you want. See, if you keep living in the will of God for your life, he's going to keep holding out on you all the things that are really good, the things that you want. And so it's evil to think that God's will is not good and right and the thing that we not only are willing to say if the Lord wills, but we desire to say that. I want a church that I belong with that desires to say, Lord, have your way with me. Lord, yes, your will. We have such a small view of God's will. Let me tell you to do a couple of things just to help awaken an appetite that you desire for God's will to be done before your will. Here's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, talking about God's thoughts versus our thoughts. 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You can't even think high enough to accomplish the good life. You can't even think high enough of the things that I have planned and purposed and want for you. Your thoughts are too low. Here's another one. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is praying with this church to be strengthened through the hardship that they're facing. And at the end of his prayer, he, he surrenders it all to this Lord. Now to him, this God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I'm praying to the God that does more than I'm praying for. He does more than I can think. He does more than I can imagine. And so your will that you're pursuing, Thomas, it's too low. Your prayers are too small. Your weight, your imagination is too weak. Like what God has for us? Yes, Lord, bring that to my life. See, Jesus himself is our model. Jesus didn't come to earth to do it the way he wanted. The Son of God, being the Son of God, being God himself, does not come to simply serve himself and execute his will. This is what Jesus tells us. This is John chapter 6. After talking about himself being the bread of life and which nourishes us, we need to feed on Jesus. Chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. That's Jesus. But the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You say, well, what, what is the will of God? Here's the will of God. In my imagination, my will is to have the good life, to have a happy life, to have a successful life. And Jesus is like, it's too small. I have come so that you, Thomas, can have eternal life. And eternal life isn't just sitting on clouds forever and ever and ever. Eternal life is the fullness of life and the foreverness of life. That's what Jesus comes to give. You see that? I have come to do my Father's will. My Father's will is that you would be secure in me, and I'm giving you eternal, full, forever life. Things you can't even pray for, think about, or imagine. And we're like, eh, I'd rather do it my way. Here's the Lord God saying to us, oh man, it's time to pay attention. 
you're not the ultimate director of your life. We should preface everything we do with, if the Lord wills. And we want to say if the Lord wills. Because the will of the Lord is the good, satisfying, secure will that I want to experience in my life now and forever and forever. You see, it's by the work of Jesus Christ submitting himself to God's plan that even provides us salvation. Did you know that? They said God's a planner. He's not against plans. God loves a plan. And Jesus surrenders himself to the plan. This is Acts chapter 2. Luke is actually speaking to the people about what just happened with this crucified, resurrected Christ. And he says this in in chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus didn't show up on the scene, get crucified, and was resurrected by happenstance. It wasn't a tragedy. This was the plan. When we fell in the garden, it wasn't as though God's going, Oh man, now what do I do? Now it's time to continue the plan. And so Jesus Christ was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. But then we are participants in that. It says, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so here's a divine mystery worthy to live into. God has a plan and is driving human history in a direction. And we are participants in that. And so it's not fatalism to say, well, I guess God just does whatever he wants with my life. No, we plan. We carry out those plans. We live our lives. And God plans. And God orchestrates. And he brings these two together. Which is why we say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, then we will do such and such. Do that. Go there. And then he concludes by saying, just, a, just kind of a, a quick little warning of a sin of omission. James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There are sins of commission, which is doing the wrong thing. There are sins of omission, is not doing the right thing. And what he's saying is, so whoever knows the right thing to do, what's the right thing to do? Is to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's the right thing. And so the one who fails to do it who fails to say, if the Lord wills. And he continues to try to be the captain of their own life. Well, for him, that is sin. It's, it's not the right way to live in accordance with God's good and right and pleasing plan. Have you ever experienced the freedom that comes from surrendering your will to the Lord? From stop having to be the author, director, the one that keeps you secure, safe, warm and dry? And to experience the will of God carrying you along, answering prayers in ways that you never imagined, bringing things into your life that you didn't think were possible, restoring things that you thought were dead, lost, or broken. If you haven't, I'd encourage you to surrender your life to the Lord. Perhaps you've lost a bit of faith in Him recently. I would say now is the time to say, Lord, if that's what your will is for my life, higher, bigger, broader, better, that you would send your son Jesus Christ, that I would have the fullness and foreverness of life, 
I want to start trusting you with my life and take a seat next to you and not be the primary captain and director of all things of me. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be a a community of people that say we trust you. And so one of the ways in which we want to trust you, Lord, is to have on our lips, if the Lord wills. And so, Lord, teach us to say that. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what this afternoon brings. And so, Lord, would you just grace us with humility? Whatever plans that we have on our calendars, whatever hopes and dreams we're trying to schedule out, Lord, would you put on our lips, on our minds, and really on our hearts, that we would desire to say, Lord, if if you will, if this makes you happy, if this brings you delight, then here are my plans. May we bring our plans before you, Lord, and would you establish our steps. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.